uh, recently watched the movie that was turned into a motion picture based on his memoir. 12 Years a Slave gives you a gut-wrenching experience of this incredible man who lived in the 1800s and endured torment and anguish in the American slave trade. At this movie, in vivid and often disturbing detail, we see Northup being treated as less than human, uh, being beaten senseless, denigrated in humility, fighting for his life at times. Your heart breaks when you read or when you watch this. Your, your, your stomach churns and, and you become angry because this man is facing such injustice. But as you watch and as you hear his story, the deep sadness of his condition is more clearly understood when you, when you consider who he was before. Right? You realize that Solomon Northup was actually a, ta- a talented violinist who, who was hired often for special events. He had a wife and kids, he had, had a home, and most of all, he was a free man. That's not common in the 1800s for a black man, but he was free. He could walk the streets of New York with his he- head held up high in freedom without fear of being captivated. Uh, but one day, as he approached uh, two men after, after an event, uh, these two men came to him and said they wanted to hire him for an event for this prestigious show that promised good money, that would promise a short return home. And so Solomon Northup, intrigued by this invitation, accepts, and he goes to D.C., and he leaves home and leaves family, and he pursues this dream. Right, they wine and dine him, and Northup is drawn to these two men who offered him this great chance at, at happiness and, and at life and fullness. But when you watch, you realize uh, the unexpected happens. Right, what happens next Solomon Northup soon finds himself awake, groggy, in a dark room, shackles on his hands, shackles on his legs, being beaten to a pulp by his new slave masters. Solomon Northup, who was once a free man, has now been deceived into slavery at the promise of something good and something true. As you read or watch this story, when I was watching the movie even last week, I wanted to go back and say, Solomon, don't go with those men. They're not for you. They are deceiving you. What they are intriguing you with is false. It's, it's deceptive. They want to take you into slavery. And so this morning, a question we want to ask ourselves is, what charms us in this world? What, what, what glitters brightly? What allures us, intrigues us? What promises satisfaction and peace and truth and fullness? Today the scriptures want to both warn us and assure us. It wants to, uh, us to realize that, that the world that we live in is full of deceit, but at the same time that we can believe truth in the midst of it. This morning, as we continue our sermon series in the book of Colossians, as we hear again from the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the church in Colossae, here's what I want us to hear. Here's what I want us to believe. That nothing compares to the full life we have in Christ. Right? No matter what may change, no matter what may come and go, nothing compares to the full life that we have in Christ. Colossae was a church, the church in Colossae was running for about six years at this point when this letter is written. They've worshipped Jesus, right? They've, they've believed the gospel, 
And yet Paul gives them this stern warning. And Seven Mile Road, for us here today, we are approaching six years as well. Right? We've worshipped Jesus together. We believe the gospel together. And yet there's much that can take us captive, that can deceive us in this world. So as we hear from God's word, allow it to remind us again that nothing compares to the full life that we have in Christ. Let's pray together asking the Lord to illuminate his word, his infallible word to us this morning. Our Father, we come to you now as a people who are prone to wander. We are led astray and captivated by the world of its values, its offerings. Even this day, we, we may come with heavy hearts, distracted minds, condemned hearts, doubting spirits. Would you anchor us again to the truth of your word? Would you remind us that there is truly nothing that compares to the full life that we have in Jesus. You are not only our peace uh, when troubles and questions are at bay, but you are also our peace and our help when we are in danger and under siege. And so nourish us with your word and satisfy our souls deeply by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As, as Joe read for us this morning, we're in Colossians 2, 8 to 10. And in verse 8, Paul says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Who's Paul talking to in this book? He's talking to young Christians, Christians who have been faithful to Jesus. They've loved the Lord, they've worshipped together, but he wants them to know that they have to be on guard Right? There, is, there is danger at their doorstep and they have to watch out. Right? There, this is no soft request from Paul because what, what word does he use? He says, don't be captive, don't be deceived. That's, that's the word he uses to describe the gravity of what's at hand, a word that has dire consequences. Right? He's saying here that the real possibility of chains being put around their neck, shackles on their arms and legs, being ripped from their homes being taken captives into slavery. That's a real possibility for them. And Paul wants them to hear this. It's without, without a doubt for the sake of their very souls that he's saying this. Right? But as you, as you picture the Colossian church, you don't see a mob of people with metal chains or, or swords or even threatening words coming to them. Right? There's nothing visibly that you can see that would alert you that they are in danger. Instead, the danger is far more subtle and it's, and it's clothed in disguise. And what does Paul tell us? He's, he tells us that what surrounds you is philosophy and empty deceit. Words, false teaching, a worldview that could destroy them is what Paul is so concerned about. Right? He wants us to realize that the church, the people of God, no matter what century you're in, no matter what culture, country, or city you are in, the church will be faced with a fight to remain true and to not swerve or to waver with the changing tides of society and culture. And Seven Mile Road, it is possible. It's possible for those in the church to be led astray. We're not immune to the trappings of this world or the philosophies that so entice the rest of the world. It happens every day, and this is what 
was possible at Colossae. This was the danger that was at hand. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. So it's it's important to note that that Paul is not necessarily knocking all philosophy as as if that enterprise is completely off the table. If you majored in philosophy, don't panic. You didn't waste all your money. Right? Philosophy is a good thing. It's the love of wisdom. That's, that's literally what it means, the love of wisdom. Right? So Paul is not against philosophy, but in Paul's day, anything that had to do with theories about God or world, the, the world and what you thought about the world was considered a philosophy. So even in Jewish schools, you would have philosophy. Right? That's, that's what you thought about religion or God. Uh, but as Paul speaks, he probably has a specific philosophy in mind, a specific worldview or set of beliefs in mind when he's addressing the Colossians, right? In in that time, a dominant belief started to come up and gain momentum. It was Greek Gnosticism that that sort of blended with ancient Judaism, right? What is that? It was this idea that during Paul's time that the material world, what we see, who we are, our our flesh, could not connect with the spiritual world, the, the ethereal, the things that are above There was a disconnect, and so since God is spiritual and we are not, he relates to the physical world through these intermediaries, right? These lesser gods who rule the stars and galaxies and planets, right? And so what was being taught was that the way to reach God is by climbing up this spiritual ladder through these lesser gods, right? These lesser gods were the way to the God, the divine being. Right? And so there was ceremonies and rituals and, and specific regiments of di- self-discipline, all very mystical and complex. Well, you couldn't do this. You must do that. You must do this in this way. Appease these spiritual beings or suffer the consequences. Right? So this is likely what Paul may be alluding to even when he says elementary spirits. Right? The higher you climbed up this divine ladder, the more spiritual you were and the closer to God you became. And, and who was Jesus in this system of thought? He, he wasn't tossed out. But who was Jesus? He was, he was useful, but he was just one of these many lesser God called eons on the way to the ultimate divine being. Right? G- he was just one of the rungs on that ladder to God. And so this, this is the teaching that sought to devour and captivate the church in Colossae. But what does Paul say? He says it's rubbish. He says it's, it's empty deceit. Right? There are promises of happiness and divinity, but they are empty and, and untrue. They, they will not satisfy you. It's like the picture of a fish hook. Right? What's the fish expect when, when he sees that bait on a fish hook? What he expects is to be full and to be satisfied by what it sees, what, what it seems to want to devour and eat. But what's the reality of what he sees? What's the actual reality of that situation? Right? What he sees, it's deception. It's, it's literally a lure. Right? It's alluring him. And the fish bites onto the food to give it nourishment and life. But ironically, with that same bite, it's the promise that gives death. It, it doesn't produce life, and so the fish is deceived. And so it's this kind of idea that we see here. Paul says this deception is according to human tradition. Right? This false teaching was being presented as tradition. 
What does that mean? It's, it's, it means it's coming from ages past. They were saying that it had integrity and clout because our forefathers believed this. This is passed through the ages, so it must be true. Right? But Paul's concern is, no matter how long it's lasted, it's, it's still human. Right? It comes from the mind of man. It's finite. It's not from God. Right? It originates from man, and, and it's empty. But you hear, you hear these words, you hear about this, this other way to God, and, and it starts sounding very nice. The rhetoric was very high, and it, the, the language was very appealing and, and impressive. Right? But this, this kind of rhetoric is not unique to the first century church in, in Colossae. Right? Some of you may have heard of this, uh, this guru, this, this writer, author named Eckhart Tolle. He's been gaining a lot of steam in recent years in America, I remember even watching him years ago when he was on an interview with Oprah. Oprah loves this guy, and so she's had him on a bunch of times to talk. And I remember being just deeply intrigued by his, his uh, lofty speech, trusting that this would be useful to hear. Right? I watched until the end, and I was genuinely impressed. I was impressed because this guy managed to fill an hour's worth of time by saying the most complex language, the deepest thoughts, but actually said nothing. Right? He, he spent an hour saying this, 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 and that, and you're wondering, yeah, that, you're just confused by the end. Let me, let me give you an example of what Eckhart Tolle, some of what he says. It's behind me on the screen. That is the real spiritual awakening. So, when something emerges from, emerges from within you that is deeper than who you thought you were. So the person is still there, but one could almost say that something more powerful shines through the person. The soul is your innermost being, the presence that you are beyond form, the consciousness that you are beyond form. That is the soul. That is who you are in essence. Everyone understood that? Right? Everyone, everyone got that? Right? That's, that's what Paul's saying. You have a lot of rhetoric. You have a lot of words to say. You could fill up hours. You can fill up volumes but you might as well have not said anything. You might as well have not written anything because it produces nothing. Right? And so that's, that's what the idea Paul is trying to communi com communicate with us. Is, he's trying to do. This, this guy is making millions off of this. Why? Because people are searching. People are looking for answers. But at best, it's just human conjecture, man-made wisdom of what the world looks like, who God is and who we are. Right? If we're honest, though, Eckhart Tolle, you could read something like that, watch him, and say, this guy's a joke. Like, we, we may not be duped by this guy and what he says. Right? And even as we read this passage in Colossians, you see language like philosophy and elemental spirits. You wonder what connection we have to that. Uh, but, but I want us to hear that what Paul intended to tell the church in Colossae 2,000 years ago is what he is still telling us today in 2015 in Philadelphia. Right? He's saying, Seven Mile Road, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human wisdom, according to anything that is opposed to Christ and not according to Christ. So if we even just consider for a moment, uh, what are the philosophies, what are the worldviews, the lesser gods that we worship in our society, in our world that competes for our allegiance and, and our devotion and loyalty? Right? Though there are more, I want to I focus on just two aspects quickly. Uh, the first is that of pluralism. Right? It's a concept we've talked about here before. Right? It's this idea that we've got to accept 
and tolerate any and all worldviews on life, religion, ethics, without ever holding up a protest flag. Right? We have diversity in beliefs. We value diversity in beliefs. Diversities and differences in lifestyle, choices and decisions. These are values that we hold. Right? And that cannot be threatened. We say truth, yes, it's important, but it is relative. Right? We say that doctrine doesn't ultimately matter because we're all going up the same mountain. We're just taking different roads to get there. Right? But of course... The, the tolerance that we so often hear regarding these kinds of conversation does not extend to those whose beliefs include definite and absolute beliefs and tr- uh, truth claims like that of the Christian faith. Right? It doesn't, that tolerance doesn't necessarily extend to some of us. Uh, as we've prayed earlier um, and talked briefly about the Supreme Court this week ruled in favor of all 50 states being mandated to acknowledge and allow marriage between same-sex couples. Right? Understandably, this is a delicate issue. It's, it's, a, it's a, a hard issue for some people, so we want to walk with care and, and give much grace and love. Right? If you're here and are sexually oriented to the same sex, have a family member or a close friend who is, or are just sympathetic to the rights of same-sex couples, we really want you to hear, we love you. Right? We want you to know that we want you here. We want to know you. We, we want to be able to be the church to you. And so know that. that there's a lot to be said about this. Um, and so we want to be in conversation with you. But all that said, at Seven Mile Road, right, that we, we believe that marriage is exclusively designed to be between man and woman. Right? Regardless of legislation, that's, that's what will remain our conviction But in a pluralistic society who values the tolerance of all viewpoints, that viewpoint that we hold is is not often tolerated, and it may be difficult in the coming days. Christians are often stamped as being bigoted and closed-minded. And for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who belong to Christ, whether through neighbors or co-workers, friends or family, we are exposed to viewpoints that don't very much jive with our Christian convictions. Right? What's it like in the workplace? What's it like when you, when you have someone over for dinner and, and it comes to that point where you have that conversation? Right? What is it like to live in a society that is constantly calling for the rejection of your convictions and to the adherence of theirs? Right? Seven Mile Road, see to it that no one takes you captive by empty deceit. Right? It, won't, it won't be easy in fact, what's easy would be to consider the alternative, alternative and succumb. But in fact, what's, what's true is to hear God's word this morning and to not be deceived. Another philosophical idea that we often value is, is that of materialism. Right? This idea of, of consumerism or being driven by success or the American dream. Whether American society as a whole or even for many of us, the way you grew up and what those around you may have drilled into your brains, that the world tells us you've got to have the right looks, the right clothes, the perfect spouse, the right car, a career, a house, kids, savings, live in the right neighborhood. All of these things you've got to have perfectly, and you have, you have to have all of them. Right? We, be, we become possessed by our possessions and are defined by what, by what we do or do not have. Right? Our, identity, our identity and our fullness is often found in desiring security or, or kids 
or wanting a spouse or being seen in the eyes of others as a success. Uh, do you struggle with any of this? Right? This, is, this is what the world calls us to. The reality for me is that I feel like over these past few months even, as Stephanie and I are sort of talking through what the future could look like, can we get a home, can we, can we have kids, what will our families and friends think of our choices our, or our outcomes, do we measure up in some of the social circles we are involved in? Right? I would be lying if I said that the world doesn't so often dictate who I am, how I think. Right? We all are often deceived, and we let the world give us worth and value and significance and acceptance. We let that determine how we think, how we live. But for both the church in Colossae and for us here, Paul tells us that anything, anything that is not according to Christ will deceive you. It will ruin you. It will lead you astray. It will not fulfill you, ever. Right, what we need to hear is not a sermon or a teaching about the five steps to inner transformation or to find the best you that is already inside you. What we need, what Paul wants us to hear is to stay away from false teaching and the empty deceit that so easily entangles us. But the question we ask Paul is how? How do we stay away? How do we uh, stay away from the empty deceit of this world? And so what he says is that what we all so desperately need to hear and whom we so desperately need to see this morning is Jesus. So verse 9 reads, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right? You consider that. It, it almost, even as I was prepping, the connection wasn't immediately made. You wonder why Paul now goes into the fullness of Christ, that Christ is full of the deity in bodily form. Why, why is that his next logical thought? Right? Because in a world that's full of deception and philosophy that is opposed to Christ, Paul wants you to look fully at the face of Jesus and see who he is so that we might be brought back to clarity. Right? As we've said in previous weeks in the book of Colossians, Jesus was not just filled with some of God or part of God. He was, in essence, God fully. And so, for in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul's logic is this. In a world that seeks to deceive us with lesser gods promising satisfaction and promising much but delivering nothing, how can we go anywhere but Christ? Jesus is the supreme, the highest, the grandest. There is no ladder to climb to reach God. There's no ladder high enough for us to climb to reach God. Instead, Jesus himself, what has he done? He who is God has come down and dwelt among sinful men and women because we could never climb high enough to reach him otherwise. Oh, the mercy and grace of God to come to us. Have you stopped to think lately about who Christ is? Right, think of all the pagan gods that Colossae was being called to worship and to appease. Or even as we've considered today, think of all the lesser gods that you and I go to, that the world goes to to satisfy. Right? Be it social acceptance in a pluralistic society or arriving at the American dream or being seen as successful. 
Have you looked to Jesus lately? Have, have you considered and looked at Christ? Have you considered who he is? Right? Of which of these false gods does the fullness of God himself dwell? Of which of these does the Father say, you are my son, I am pleased in you, be exalted at my right hand? Of which of these gods can come down from heaven and save you from your sin and disappointment and discontentment and give you eternal life? There's none who compares to Jesus. With all the empty deceit of the world, Paul wants us to be clear and to, to remove all the rubbish and clear it away and say to us, look at Christ. Look at the face of Christ. There's truth and life and fullness there. And so as we've considered verse 8, Paul sort of describes the, the emptiness of the world and what it tells us that its philosophies take us captive as slaves, making us uh, go into darkness. Verse 9, Paul contrasts that emptiness right, with the fullness of God in Christ, that in Him is the word of truth and life. And when we get to verse 10, it's one of the most unimaginable realities that those who belong to Christ can be assured of and those who are not in Christ can be offered today. What does Paul say? You have been filled in Him. You have been filled in Him. Could there be a more mind-blowing reality? Right? We who belong to Christ, we have been filled in Christ. As the fullness of the deity is in Christ in turn, we are filled with Christ, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, the one who is creator and sustainer of the cosmos and of us. We are filled in him. How, how is this possible? How can an infinite, inexhaustible, uncontainable God be filled in limited and small, weak creatures like us? This week as I was preparing, I heard one preacher say it like this. Imagine if you go to the shores of the Pacific Ocean. You stand on the shore and you, you look at all of its greatness, its depth, breadth, and length, the edges of its borders unseeable fading into the horizon. Imagine that you had a small jar with you in your hand. You fill it up, you go to the water, you fill it up with the water from the Pacific Ocean. Right, what do you have? You have a jar that is full of the Pacific Ocean. Right, to the brim, it is full of Pacific Ocean water. Nothing can be added to it. There's no more room. Right? All of the Pacific Ocean is not exhaustively in the jar. There, there's a whole ocean left. But it is certain that that jar is full of the Pacific Ocean. Right? And it's that idea, those who belong to Christ, we are full in Christ. We are full of Christ. We have been absolutely filled in Him. We are being ever filled with Christ. We will never exhaust the infinite God, and yet we are full. Our borders ever expanding, our capacity ever brimming. We love to eat here at Seven Mile Road, and so we're often full. Right? We went to an Indian restaurant down the street a few weeks ago, a bunch of us after service on Sunday, and I love Indian food, and when I eat Indian food, I'm all in. No fork required, hands to plate, I'm all in. And I, I was satisfied with the food. I, I had no more room. I was licking my fingers, and I was just fully satisfied. It was wonderful. Got a lot of odd looks from people at the table. But that's okay. But if I tried to stuff anything else, there, there was curry permeating through my pores. I was full. It was good, and I was satisfied. 
Right? That, that's the idea. Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What does it mean to be satisfied in the all-sufficient Christ? What does it mean to say that Jesus, he's all I need, he's, he is enough for me? What does it mean to say that with your lips, but find it difficult to believe on the ground when you're actually living life? When you are seeing everything glitter brightly. There's so much in the world that tells us that we need more than Jesus Christ. Here are the things that you need to be spiritually elite and acceptable. Here are the milestones that you need to hit to be respectable. Here's the tax bracket you need to fit in. Here are the worldviews you need to adhere to to be accepted by others. And with all the noise that's around us, Hear these true and lasting words of God tell you in verse 10. The NASV version says it like this. In Him, you have been made complete. In Him, you have been made complete. There is no single thing in the world that can satisfy you or me more than Jesus. And there is no single thing in the world that can make you or, you or I more complete if you have Jesus. We search and we seek and we long for something to give us satisfaction and contentment in this world. But even when, when we think we've found it, even when we've grasped it with our hands, the search begins again. We're right out again looking for the next thing to satisfy us. A preacher named Jeremiah Burroughs of the 1600s authored a book titled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And he writes this, my brother, and the reason why you do not have contentment in the things of the world is not that you do not have enough of them. The reason is that they are not things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. Seven Mile Road, the deceptive philosophies, the values, the ideals of this world will seek to take us away from true life, from home, right, from freedom. Nothing will satisfy apart from Christ. What glitters today is just an illusion. Right? The ideals, the opinions of this world will forever remain deficient to take the rightful place of Christ to fulfill us. If you're searching for something, if you want to walk your own way, I implore you, walk and look at Jesus. There you will find all that you are looking for. Hear Paul's words in Galatians 4 when he says this, Formerly, when you do, did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn again to the weak and elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Right? None of these false gods can satisfy us. Not for this life, not for the life to come. They are hollow, they're deceptive. Instead, we look to Jesus who is the head of all rule and authority, who is the head of all principalities and authorities. He exposes the emptiness of deceit of all of these things and he has triumphed over them by way of the cross. This morning, dear sisters, dear brothers, do you see the folly of this world and what it calls us to believe do you see the emptiness of its pursuit of contentment, of temporal gains, and, and of wisdom apart from Jesus? And in sharp contrast, 
As Paul has shown us, do you see the beauty of Christ? Do you see the glory of living life full and complete and satisfied in Jesus? Christian, you can have confidence this morning in the supreme Christ who has redeemed you from the rule of sin and death. You can be freed to not live your life life on the basis of what other people think, on philosophies of views and expectations of this world, but you can depend and bank on Jesus. Your all-sufficient Savior has made you complete in Him. Solomon Northup was lured by the deceptive words of men. He was captivated by the promises of contentment and happiness. But he was only to be made captive under them and sold to slavery. But he was free again. The story goes that he was free. Someone came and rescued him. He left the bondage of slavery and captivity and he was set free. But imagine the awfulness if Northup were to be lured back again. Right? If he were to go back to the slavery that once ruined him. Right? You have tasted, Christian, you have tasted the goodness of God. You who have all that you need in Christ, see to it that you are not deceived again to go back to the ways of slavery and of oppression and deception. They only lead to ruin. Do not return to the, wa- the one who seeks to make you captive under slavery once again. Remain in Christ, for you are complete in Him. Believe that this morning. Remind each other of that. When we often swerve and, and think otherwise, we've got to bank our lives, our worth, our value in Jesus. For the one who is not a Christian here today, Realize today that there are no other roads that lead to truth and to God but Jesus. He's the one and only way. Right? Only Jesus does that. Following the opinions of the world does not mean you're right. right? See today that the folly of captivating philosophy of empty deceit only leads to nothing. Right? We will always seek to fill the emptiness in us. We, we will seek always to fill the deficiency of our souls with something. Who were we pointed to today? To Christ in whom there is no deficiency. In him there is no lack. And you can be filled with Christ today. Christ Jesus has lived and died. He's also risen to conquer sin and death so that we might have life. That's the truth of the gospel that we believe. And so in this city of Philadelphia today, Christ Jesus And all of his fullness has come to meet us today. He is here. How will you respond? In all of our wretchedness, in all of our brokenness, in in all of our inability to climb any ladder to reach God, he has come to us. He has made a way for us to be set free from slavery. Walk through the doors into freedom. What good news is this, that we are made complete in Christ. Believe today that nothing compares to the full life that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Our all-sufficient and supreme Christ, we ask that you would occupy our hearts this morning with a profound satisfaction in you, Jesus. You are the one who gives us worth, 
You are the one who gives us value and fullness. You are the one in whom we place all of our trust. You are the one in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And, And all that we need is found in you and nothing compares to the life that we have in you. Free us from the clutches of the evil one who seeks to devour us, who seeks to tell us that that life is the life, that that would free us, that listening to that worldview, listening to that person, buying that thing, meeting that milestone will give us happiness. Help us to be be freed from the one who holds us captive. By your grace, would you reveal to us, illuminate these words again to us by your spirit that we might believe truly and rightly, that we might be saved when all the world and all that is in it lures us to trust in its deception, help us to see the risen Son of God, Jesus, who has accomplished our salvation and has given us true, everlasting, full life in Him. In Christ's name we pray.